You're listening to Venture in the South, a podcast searching for innovation in the Southern U.S. Join us to make money, have fun, and do good. Welcome back to Venture in the South, a podcast about angel investing and startup companies in the Southeastern United States. I'm Paul, I'm your host, and I'm joined by Eric Murray, who is the CEO of Proaxion. Proaxion is a venture south portfolio company that we've invested in a couple of times over the years. And I wanted to give Eric the chance to tell you a bit about his story, his entrepreneurial journey, and what Proaxion does, and what we've learned from fundraising and operating early stage companies along the way. So Eric, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Maybe we could kick things off with a softball question. Just tell us a bit about Eric and, and how you came to be CEO of Proaxion. Sure. Proaxion is a really interesting company. I got introduced to the founder of Proaxion through a mutual friend. And it was in an industry that I previously worked in with GE. The solution was very interesting and very novel. And I hit it off with the founders and started out advising them and ultimately joined them as, as a team member. Interesting. So we'll talk about CEO transitions. That's an interesting subject. But maybe just back on your background first before we get in there. So you've been in what part of manufacturing or related spaces have you been in for for most of your career? I started in the early parts of my career in primary manufacturing in a, a pulp and paper mill. I worked in General Electric in their main test for motors, and I ran their instrumentation business. And then I transitioned into GE Capital for a while, and then from GE into ABB in the utility space. And I spent a good portion of my career in the utility space and energy. Okay. So I had a pretty strong background in, in uh, manufacturing, good training with large companies, and then I, I'd worked in smaller ones, which I think are a lot more dynamic and fun. Yep. Okay. We'll talk about that transition too. Some interesting transitions for us to talk about. One thing I particularly enjoy when I'm chatting with you is your passion for getting your hands dirty, getting involved in industrial facilities and you know taking stuff apart and putting back together and seeing how stuff works. That strikes me as one of your defining characteristics. You know, I really like what my customers do. And I think in small companies, if you're not rolling out of bed every day, excited about something new and interesting, it's really going to be challenging to stay committed and driven when you have difficult things like COVID or supply chain challenges. And almost every day of my life, it's the equivalent of a small episode of how it's made. <laughs> We work in insulation plants, drywall plants. I learned recently how to make balls for a ball mill, which are sort of small cannonballs. So really fascinating stuff. And when you learn about a customer's business, and more importantly, you learn how you can help them, there's a sense of accomplishment that's a big part of what I enjoy. Mm. Maybe just tell us a little bit about what Proaxian does, just for any listeners who aren't already familiar. Absolutely. We are broadly in that category called IoT or Internet of Things. And specifically, what we do is we put sensors on large manufacturing equipment, and those sensors ultimately monitor the health of that equipment. And what that allows us to do is to flag customers, usually maintenance organizations, when we identify early stage machine problems. And everybody knows who's owned a car, 
If you nip a small problem in the bud, it's not that expensive. If you wait and the problem gets worse, it gets more expensive. And really, we're trying to help customers do two things. Minimize their overall cost of ownership of that asset base they manufacture. And two, avoid unscheduled outage. If you have people working in the mill, if you have furnaces and the like running and the line goes down, you've got all that cost and none of the revenue because you've got nothing coming off the end of the line. And so you put your sensors or other people's sensors onto onto this machine? They are our sensors. We manufacture them here through a contract manufacturer in North Carolina. So we are a manufacturer and a software company. You are. We're a little bit of both. A hardware and software combination. And the software is yours as well, I take it, that does the analytics on the data that comes off of those sensors. That's correct. And that's really the exciting part of the game for us is we have a sensor. It's a, it's a great sensor. It's made here in North Carolina. But at the end of the day, how you leverage that software to collaborate with customers, to flag issues, to diagnose root cause so you can tell them not only that they have a problem, but what that problem is so they can order the right parts, those sorts of things. That's really where the software comes in. That all runs on AWS, a cloud application. Mm -hmm. And it's a great enabling technology because it allows our customers to shrink space and time. You may have a corporate expert and a plant manager. They're able to look at the same thing at the same time. And so when do you first try to get involved with a customer? When they're building a plant for the first time or when they're buying a new piece of machinery or or after they've just had a line go down and incurred all that cost? Yeah. So it's interesting, all the above, but the reality of our business is historically we would talk to maintenance teams and you know sales with everything you don't necessarily get the order the first time but if a maintenance team has just finished working on a significant outage they're very attuned to all the costs and inconvenience of that outage so you know when you're lucky enough to call after one of those events you can have a very constructive conversation with maintenance teams we install on brand new equipment and aged equipment, and the issues are really the same. What we see with some of the older manufacturing facilities, and you know, the US was built on manufacturing. There's some old equipment where the OEMs are out of business or they've gone offshore and you can't get parts easily for those products. So for older pieces of equipment, repair or rebuild is your only option. And in some instances, that equipment is really benefits from uh, from our service. Okay. So could you just give us a quick kind of range of what, uh, what equipment you're putting these sensors on and what kinds of lines you're keeping running? Absolutely. So we look at rotating equipment and it's continuous manufacturing. So it's always on or it's on for longer durations and it rotates. So an electric motor and many of the things that that motor drives, a fan, a pump, a compressor, blower, even in some instances, we're on conveyor systems, conveyor drives and, and equipment like that. And we focus on you know a, a broad range of manufacturing facilities. We're in automotive, we're in steel. We've got a lot in nutrition, especially animal nutrition and a lot in building products. So, so it's quite a broad range. And most manufacturers have motors and then most of them have fans and, and pumps and things like that. 
And I assume you get paid to install the sensor and then some kind of software as a service revenue to monitor the sensor. Is that right? That's right. It is a, it's a hybrid business model. And we've just recently released a, a solution, which is a hardware as a service or a complete subscription. We usually get paid for the hardware, the sensors and the gateways that collect and send that data up to the cloud. And then we'll get an ongoing subscription for communications costs, data storage costs, and analytics and technical support. And one of the key things for us, service is an element of our business, but as we have grown, we've really focused on ease of deployment and customer self-service so that they can do their own deployment. And that way, they can apply the solution where they need it the most uh, without having to schedule us to come to site, those sorts of things. One of the areas we like to explore with our interviewees is how you tie your pricing to the value you generate for your customers. And a lot of the value you generate for customers is cost they haven't had to pay because things didn't go wrong, which is sometimes kind of a hard thing to articulate to people, right? So maybe could you comment a little bit on, on that and how you think your pricing helps customers realize the value that they, that they are getting? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's really difficult in some instances. Insurance is, a, is another industry like that where you pay this massive bill and your house is still standing and you wonder, boy, could I, could I skip a year? Yeah. And that's the year in North Carolina, we probably get hurricanes. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. But the hardware price is the easy part of the equation. And so we invariably price our hardware as a capital cost. And that's something that maintenance organizations understand easily. We have a very economical price point for our hardware. Invariably with the subscriptions, we tend to look at total cost of subscriptions against failures that we catch and a known repair rebuild cost of that failure. So one of the best examples that our customers have given us is Cargill has deployed us at all of their animal nutrition plants. And their estimate is they save $1.4 million in expedited and parts costs by addressing failures sooner. That gave them a 5.6 month payback on their entire project. So just on the cost of shipping the part earlier, a less emergency cost? Well, reduced parts. So Okay, fewer parts. If you catch a problem when it's small, you don't have as many things to repair. Okay. And the biggest problem, especially right now, is if you have something down, it's all hands on deck. So, you know, you don't necessarily put a part in a taxi and have it come over, but everything's expedited, it's air freighted, mm-hmm. uh, this sort of thing. And there's significant cost to that. Yeah. So it's, it's those sorts of costs that they look at. It's interesting. They didn't factor in their opportunity cost of lost production. And there's a couple of reasons for that. The the simplest one is we work in the case of Cargill with the reliability group who doesn't have line responsibility P&L for their operations. So that's not costs that they see directly. The reality is most customers don't like to share those costs as well because invariably that opens up a conversation about benefit sharing that increases price and, and most customers don't want to have that conversation. Okay, got it. So they're getting a lot more value out of that than they're willing to pay you for, perhaps. But but nonetheless, you can make good money. Um, yes. 
solving that potential problem for them. Okay, got it. Rolling South is changing venture with no upfront fees for accredited investors and deep diligence to bring our investors the best deals in the Southern United States. We're co-invested with you, so we only make money if you do. Join us to make money, have fun, and do good. I wanted to explore in this half of the show some of uh, Eric's personal participation in the early stage startup arena. Back earlier in the show, Eric described how he came into Proaxion that had already been an existing company with a, you know, a team that had already been funded. So I wanted to chat with Eric a little bit about how that worked. That's not an easy thing to do in a lot of startups, and Proaxion has done that very successfully. So interested to hear, Eric, from you, how that came about and, and what you have learned from that process. How it came about was I got introduced to the founders of Proaxion by a mutual friend. And the team was very cohesive. They were good friends and they had a a great idea. And I I think, you know, when I was in the military, I learned one thing, one thing that stuck with me through my whole career. And that is don't ask anyone else to do something you're not willing to do yourself. And, and the culture in Proaxion was one of leaning into problems, whether those be problems at customer site or, or problems in the business. And that culture really helped as we looked at changes in the business. When I first started, I started as an advisor, and then I joined to scale commercial operations. And shortly after I had joined in that role, Justin had asked me to take over as the CEO. And, you know, Justin exhibited a significant amount of maturity in sort of his view of what he enjoyed and was passionate about and what he wasn't. And he was really all about the product. He was all about ease of deployment, ease of use. And I think transitioning me into the CEO role gave him more time to pursue his passion. And we got to know each other while I was an advisor and um, working on the sales side. So a number of things lined up nicely Mm -hmm. for that transition to happen. Justin's still 110% committed to the business. He spends every day doing what he loves to do. And we've grown the team as a result. And we've got some great people on the team. It's a thing of beauty when it works well. That's right. A lot of times it doesn't. So it's good that things lined up. That's right. And I think it's like marriage. I only have experience with one wife. But what I hear is over-communicate sometimes is pretty important. And... That's really difficult when you're trying to solve problems and think through problems and at the same time, think about engaging with others on the team about that whole process. So you successfully navigated that transition and then COVID hit. So tell us a little bit about what that did to your customers and, and how Proaxian has responded since then. We've had a couple of little bumps and COVID was, was one of them. I think one of the biggest challenge with COVID was the manufacturing plants all really locked down tight. We couldn't get to the manufacturing plants. A lot of the key personnel that we were trying to engage with went off the grid. They didn't use their office phones. You couldn't get their cell phones to talk to them. So the challenges of prospecting grew exponentially to sort of grow the business. And at the same time, manufacturers were suffering with fewer people and fewer experienced people on site to solve problems. So we we were sort of hit by two sides. 
we were trying to grow the business and it was very difficult to prospect and get new clients. And the demand on our solution set for our existing customers, customers was going up as well. Hmm. So it was a little bit of a double-edged sword. It was harder for us to support our existing customers in the short term, but we learned an awful lot from our customers as a result. And at the same time, we went to a lot of time being distributed, working from home. So there are, there are a number of challenges in staying connected with the team members as well. I guess on the positive, it probably emphasized to those customers how hard it is to have maintenance people come around and do the inspections. It, it absolutely is. And emphasized how hard it is to get parts. So even more acute need to be ahead of the game and make sure you know what parts you need ahead of time before before the emergency hits. That really hit us with supply chain, which came on the heels of COVID. From you know looking back at COVID itself, one of the real strengths of the system is it can validate. You know, you can get a as found as left reading on the machine. And in scarcity, and COVID was a significant scarcity issue of human talent, service people that would fly in and work on equipment or would balance equipment and this sort of thing. You took what you got. And sometimes, you know, they weren't your preferred supplier or the person that was familiar with your equipment. And in a number of instances, we found machines that were left after repair in similar or worse condition and were able to quickly identify that. And, you know, while the person was still on site or um, shortly after they left, so that issue could be resolved. And that was very helpful. Still some tough bumps along the way, as you mentioned. Very tough. Now we're in July 2023. Are you seeing more bumps or are you actually making hay now while the sun is shining? Well, after COVID, we had a significant supply chain set of challenges to get components for our sensors. And that proved to be very challenging for us as well. We've sort of worked through that. And now what we see is manufacturing as a whole is in a little bit of an eclectic period where everybody's worried there might be a little bit of a downturn in the economy. And at the same time, we have very clear indications that onshoring is bringing more manufacturing back to the U.S. So it's an interesting time and it's, it's hard to get capital projects pushed through. People are slowing down their, their capital purchases but we see the opportunities as significant. Hmm. We're, as a result, I mentioned before, we recently have designed a hardware as a service solution set where we're having trouble getting capital approval for large purchases. So we're starting to see our revenue ramp up out of the challenges of supply chain last year. Okay, got it. I guess the onshoring is one trend that works in your favor. How about the sort of retiring of the generation of really expert mechanics and a lack of junior people to take over from them. Is that true? And have you seen that impact in what you do? I call that the, the silver-haired tsunami. Everybody's heading to the golf course that uh, has 20 years experience sort of thing. And we absolutely see that. We see a few sort of trends in industry. One is Experienced people that have that tactile knowledge, they know how to put very large equipment together. They've done it their whole lives. Those people are disappearing or 
they're going into a professional services company. They're they're getting out of the manufacturer. And for us, that's been in a number of instances very helpful because we're able to give clear indication of what the problem is without a domain expert on site. And in some instances, we're able to share that information visually with a service organization that's coming in to fix the equipment. So they have a clear picture of what they're walking into. They can be prepared with the right people. They know what the problem is they're there to fix. The other trend we see is maintenance personnel in general are becoming much more transient. You know, I think everybody was aware of the sort of labor cost increases we've seen recently. And there was a lot of churn in maintenance organizations as people look for higher pay. And, you know, that resulted in people changing companies in many cases. So you have people with less experience on the on the specific manufacturing facilities that they're working in. Hopefully those trends continue to work in your favor and you can you can keep going. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. And, you know, our plan is to continue to figure out how to do things like share tribal knowledge between different people, helping newer people leverage the experience and past situations machines have gone through that have been well documented so they can quickly identify similar issues and get to root cause in the repair quick. Last question for you. So you raised money originally from Venture South a few years ago to sort of grow and get the team together and, and develop the product and those things and did a really good job with that. Then you raised some more money more recently. How did that fundraising go in what now appears like with hindsight to be a really easy and you know, productive time for startups to be raising money. What was the reality of that fundraise you know, a year or so ago? And what's next in your financing and growth plans after that? Yeah. So the reality of that fundraising is it was a little more challenging than I'd like to admit. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we found is most investors don't like hardware. Yeah. Hardware is hard. And the fact that we have a hybrid business model where we make our hardware and we offer a subscription, we think is a competitive advantage. It makes us sticky. It gives us great margins on both products. But most investors don't like hardware and everyone's gravitating to software. So that round was actually quite difficult. It was timely to get done. Trying to do a a raise right now is uh, not for the faint of heart. Yeah, right. So the timing was was very good. And what we've done with that funding is we're right in the process of releasing our next generation of sensor technology. We're building out our software. We've grown our subscriptions significantly. And that's one of the key metrics that investors look at. So if you look at year over year, our subscriptions were a small portion of the total revenue two years ago. Now they're the lion's share of revenue. And everybody likes subscriptions. That recurring revenue is is quite attractive. We've maintained price, which is which is great. As we grow, there's significant pressure to by our customers to reduce our price. And we've done a, I think a very good job of demonstrating value. Mm-hmm. And so far we've managed to maintain or in some cases increase price. And what we see with our next generation of sensor when that comes out is is our further ability to install on unique types of equipment and grow the business. For us, our biggest challenge right now is is probably channels to market. 
the market for IoT right now is very crowded and it's difficult to separate the software promise from a solution like Proaxian that actually delivers the complete results on, on machine health. But once you get into, in some places, some you know very impressive, demanding blue chip customers, I mean, you have demonstrated, I think, for them that your solution does produce the value they're looking for, right? Yeah, I, I think Cargill has been a great customer for a number of reasons. And Certainty has also been a fantastic customer. They are tough and, you know, that can create some challenges. But, you know, the reality is that challenge is a great place to enhance your solution set and demonstrate its value. So, you know, in, in working and building out national contracts with players like Cargill, you really get to plow some ground that can be harvested with other customers that come behind them. Well, great, Eric. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing some of the learnings you've had along the way. And we wish you the best of luck with continuing to grow Proaxian in the future. Well, thanks, Paul. I really appreciate it. You know, Venture South has been a fantastic partner for us. And you didn't cover it in a lot of detail, but in our last round of financing, Venture South was pivotal in bringing together an investor team and helping us sort of focus on what was crucial. And that's one of the things that has helped us through a number of the challenges we've had is we've had investors with great domain knowledge that really deliver helpful advice and constructive thinking. So really appreciate your support. Well, thank you. We appreciate the kind words and we're happy to do what we can to help, but you get all the credit. So good work. Thanks so much. You have a great day. This pod is supported by our own Rolling South Fund and by Venture Carolina, a nonprofit focused on entrepreneur and investor education. Connect with us on LinkedIn or at VentureInTheSouth.com.